Mark 4. Hear now the words of our God, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, and he was asleep on the cushion. So they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And it ceased. There was great calm. And he turns to the disciples and says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And not surprisingly, the disciples respond with great fear and say to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why don't you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, I pray that you would grip every heart in this room with that probing question, who then is this? I pray that all within the sound of my voice would know with full assurance of faith this day the answer to this immortal question. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, with man... Nothing is impossible, or at least so it seems. I remember growing up in Oklahoma City, my Christian high school had a poster on the wall, some bizarre inspirational quote that said something to the effect of, the only limit to human achievement is self-imposed. And man, is that not the American spirit? You can do anything. It just feels like man has basically been able to take dominion over everything, and that does seem to be true. For on the one hand, man has proven to defy almost every natural limit there is. Just consider how many years ago it would have seemed impossible to defeat, to have dominion over the land. A mountain in and of itself had proven passable until they invented the wheel, until they invented the car, until they could create tunnels through it. We have somehow, some way, with the train and highway system, we have taken dominion over the land. Of course, In years gone by, the most fearsome part of nature was the sea itself. It was the great unknown. People didn't know just a few hundred years ago that there was a world on the other side of the world, that there was a new world until at last our advances in seafaring had us take dominion over not just the land, but the sea itself. It's been within the lifetime of, well, at this point, I don't think it's been in the lifetime of anybody, that we have taken dominion over the air. Once once seemed like an impossibility is now possible with the invention of aviation. We have taken dominion over the land, over the sea, over the air, over space itself, which a great many of us in this room witnessed that firsthand in 1969 when you saw somebody at last land on the moon. It feels like man can do anything, 
man has even been able to take dominion over darkness itself. That great darkness, that great equalizer that forces all humanity to go inside at night until the invention, the advent of electricity brought day in the midst of night. We no longer fear the darkness. We no longer fear disease, at least broadly speaking, with the advent of medicine, pharmaceuticals, all the things that come with modern uh, uh, medicine, even like anesthesia, it has caused us to at least think that we are getting dominion over disease. Even distance itself, which used to separate peoples in distinct ways, has been greatly reduced through the invention of the telephone and, and now the internet. It feels, in other words, like man can't be stopped. Maybe it is true that the only limit to human achievement is self-imposed. Until we recall that one great limit that none of us have been able to transgress. That one great power that we cannot harness, we cannot subdue. And my friends, it's one you know all too well. For it's the weather. Try as we might, we have not been able to stop it. My understanding, I don't know how true this is, my understanding is that China attempted to in 2008, uh, right before the great Beijing Olympics, evidently they tried to do something to make the clouds go away. It was a fool's errand. You can't do it, which is why multi-million dollar tournaments can get upended just by a casual rainstorm. It's why you who have all the perfect things in place to have your children sleep peacefully at night, many of you had those plans dashed last night at 1045 when you may have heard what I heard that woke my little girl, that big old thunderbolt or lightning bolt that ricocheted all through your house. My friends, weather is that one thing that man has not been able to stop, which is what makes this passage so stunning. It's stunning because evidently our Lord Jesus Christ, He alone demonstrated authority and power over that which none of us have authority and power over. None has been able to even pretend they can. He proved to have this authority. It's not only stunning though, it should on the same token be surprising, maybe stupefying to you. Because in the face of of a most horrendous storm. The disciples thought they were dying. Did you notice? Did you miss? Did you just pass too quickly over what Jesus said in response to their fear? The first time I read this, I thought, seriously? Jesus, how could you possibly look at these disciples who think they are about to die in the face of the fury of nature and say, why are you so afraid? Of course they're afraid. It'd be like me walking up to one of you tired mothers who's had a hard week with your kids and say, why are you so tired? You just don't ask that. It's, it seems like a, a pointless question. How could he say, why are you so afraid? Of course, these words sprung from the lips of our Lord. And so on the one hand, we must take them with full assurance of faith that these were not some audacious words. These were words that the disciples should have heard. Why are you so afraid? We're going to learn today from this text a, a truth that you may 
hear and think, you know, preacher, that's nice, but seems a little naive. That, that seems inspiring, but that's not really that practical. For what we're going to notice in this text is that when you are with Christ, all fears prove to be futile, fruitless, unfounded. Now that preaches, that sounds nice, but let me repeat, does that sound realistic to you at all? And if it doesn't, if your gut instinct is to say, that sounds nice, but the truth is, even knowing what I know about my God, I can't help but be gripped with fear. I think I would be just as the disciples were in this boat. I want to invite you to get in the boat, so to speak, with me today. Let's sit at our master's feet and learn with the disciples the legitimacy of his question, which I believe is the clarion question of the text. It's the question that I want you to dwell on with me. Indeed, it's the main point of my sermon. Hear the call of Christ, that great probing question. Dear church, why are you so afraid? Why? I wonder, how would you answer that great question? Why are you so afraid? I don't want you to mistake my question. I didn't ask what are you afraid of? Because clearly there are some what's out there. Spiders, storms, roller coasters. I mean, there's, there's things that can scare some of y'all. Not me. The question is why? For if you can answer not what are you afraid of, but why are you afraid of those things? If you can get to the why... I think you'll discover why Jesus' question makes all the sense in the world. For in this text, I see three reasons why we need not fear. Three reasons why it made sense for Jesus in the midst of a storm to ask his disciples, why are you so afraid? If you're taking notes, mark this down. Firstly, I want you to notice one reason why we need not fear is because, let me say it as simply as I can, He's with you. Now don't let that go in one ear and out the other. I want you to notice the nature in which He's with you. Just look with me, if you will, beginning at verse 35. Let's slowly walk through the text. It says, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. Other side of what? He's in a boat. He's been teaching in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. That's that famed sea on the northern end of the modern nation state of Israel. The Sea of Galilee is a notorious body of water. This is a body of water that sits, so to speak, in a bowl. It is surrounded by mountain sides and it sits in this low-lying area. Indeed, the Sea of Galilee is some 700 feet below sea level. Hard to imagine, is it not? Because it's only a handful of miles away from the Mediterranean Sea. It is a low-lying lake. And this lake goes by a few other names. If you're reading in the New Testament, you might see the name Sea of Gennesaret or Sea of Chenoreth or Chenoroth. You may even see Lake Tiberias. These are all synonyms, all the same word for the name Sea of Galilee. And he is crossing to the other side. He is ordaining I should speak, that they go to the other side. Let's continue. It says they leave the crowd and they took Jesus with them in the boat just as he was. That's kind of a strange statement 
Most think he just means that he didn't get out of the boat. He stayed in the boat that he was teaching in. He was really tired. We're about to find that out. And he starts sailing, smooth sailing, so to speak, to the other side. And notice what happens in verse 37. It says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat such that the boat was already filling with water. Some of you, most of you, I trust, don't know this, that before the Lord called me to be a pastor, <laughs> believe it or not, genuinely, I wanted to be a meteorologist. I would have made a killer TV meteorologist, wouldn't I? <laughs> Brad Panovich, I'd have given you a run for your money. And from my early days of taking interest, I grew up in Oklahoma, there were tornadoes all around me, it was interesting to me, till I realized 300 out of the 365 days a year, I'd be telling people it's partly cloudy, so I decided, and that's not for me. Storms on this Sea of Galilee arise because the air right above the sea gets warmed up by the lake. It is a typically warm climate right above the lake. Just north of the lake, though, is a mountainous region. Some refer to it as the Golan Heights. It goes all the way up to Mount Hermon where cold air would come down off the mountainside and it would crash into the warm air in this low-lying body of water. And if you know meteorology, you'll know that when cold air descends on top of warm air, great instability occurs and over the, a split second, you can have most severe winds occur. And when those great severe winds would start whipping across the lake, as winds ordinarily do, it would whip up the sea such that great crashing waves would begin. This is a known fact in the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you can go on YouTube and see in 1992, there was a similar storm. There's video footage there where the waves were 10 feet high on this 13-mile-wide uh, body of water. In fact, today, if you go to Israel and you see the establishments, the restaurants and whatnot, along the uh, shore of this sea, most of them are on stilts because they recognize that they've got to prevent future flooding from these cr uh, crazy storms that can develop on this sea. Now, think with me for a second. This is the sovereign Lord of the universe who has evidently ordained. He has said, let's go to the other side. He made this plan. We're going to go over here. Now, consider with me. Do you think that he who controls the weather can predict the weather? He knew where he was leading them. He said, let's go. And everybody got in the boat with him because everybody likes smooth sailing. So off they go, enjoying the providence of God. He is leading us in smooth waters to the other side. You see, he's with you in smooth sailing. And I think most of us know that. I don't need to belabor that point that ours is a sovereign God, a providential God who is guiding your very steps. Plans are in the man's mind, but all of your steps have been directed by the Lord, the writer of Proverbs say. God is guiding your steps. But have you noticed that it's quite easy to believe in the providence of God, that God is directing your steps, that he's with you when it's smooth sailing. But the minute stormy seas arise, how common is it for you and for me to start questioning whether or not he's there? And indeed, that's what happens in this very passage. For as the wind and the waves begin to kick up, you notice that the disciples start to fret. And the question we really ought to chew on is, was this a mistake? Or did Jesus know where he was leading them? And the hard truth that all of us need to get a grip on if we're to grow in grace is we must recognize with the text that the God who leads you in still waters 
is the same God who often leads you into stormy seas. That it is often His will to bring us into a storm. Now let's consider a moment, take a step back and wonder why would Jesus do this? Both for the disciples and by analogy for us today. And there's, this is something you really need to get a grip on if you were to walk with our Lord. On the one hand, you got to remember that when it comes to suffering in this life, when it comes to stormy seas, so to speak, you need to remember that every storm you encounter in this life has been planned by your maker. He actually has planned it. That's why when I spoke to the graduates just a couple days ago at their senior dinner, I cited 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 to them, which says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you as if something strange were happening to you. For the Lord has promised this very thing. It has been granted, the scripture says, that you might suffer. He has planned it. But lest that sound cold and callous, remember, he who planned it is using it. He is using this storm for a reason. I think perhaps the best book money can buy on the subject of suffering outside the Bible is by Elizabeth Elliot. She is the widow of the famed uh, Jim Elliot, martyred as a missionary in Ecuador in the 1950s. She recently uh, had published a book entitled, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And that book's title sums up her great thesis, which has been a balm for my soul. Have you forgotten that there is not one low moment in your life, not one hard providence, not a second of suffering that has ever been used carelessly by our Lord. It is part of His great plan. He is using it to mold you and make you. He planned it. He's using it, and praise be to God, He will one day end it. For the Scripture says that these light, momentary afflictions, these storms in our life, are preparing for us, the Scripture says, an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And so, take heart, my friends. Why are you so afraid? He's with you, both in still seas and in stormy seas. He's planning it, using it. Praise be to God, He'll end it. And so... Just consider, why is it so hard to trust Him in the still waters and so tough to in the stormy waters? Why is it? It ought to make us take a step back and assess our faith. Charles Spurgeon, in a way only he could, once remarked, remember, we don't have any faith at any time more than that which we have in the hour of trial. All that will not bear to be tested is just carnal confidence. You see, a fair weather faith is no faith at all. And if you find to be filled with faith when the skies are clear, when the weather is fair, and it evaporates the minute the dark storm clouds roll, Let his word be a warning to you. Is yours a faith at all? Oh, I pray that God by his grace will fill you with faith this day. When the storms of life encounter you, you need not be afraid, for he is with you. But if you believe that, you still may privately be thinking, Tyler, I'll attest to that, but it feels like he's asleep. 
he may be with me, but it sure doesn't feel like he's guiding right now. I feel a little alone in this boat, in this storm, which leads me to the second great truth I want you to see from this text. We need not be afraid, for not only is he with us, secondly, I want you to note that in the midst of the storm, he is indeed for you. He's with you and he's for you. Notice, if you will, beginning in verse 38, what happens next. As the boat begins to sink, they turn to Jesus, who was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. He was asleep on this cushion that was always in the back for the man whose job was to steer the boat. They call that individual a coxswain. His job was to help the boat go the right direction. He was, in essence, the human rudder. And he was sleeping on that cushion that that guy evidently got to enjoy. And what's so wild about this part of the story is I don't know how Jesus was asleep if the boat was sinking. That means that Jesus had to have been rocked, rolled, surely drenched at this point. What's going on here? Well, on the one hand, it illustrates for us the sweet humanity of our Lord, who is evidently exhausted after a long day. But I think it probably illustrates all the more acutely for us that he was sleeping for a reason. He was not just lounging in his mere humanity alone. He was asleep for a reason, to illustrate a profound point that abides to this day. That point we see drawn out by the disciples' question to Jesus asleep in the back of the boat. Do you not care? How many of you have found yourself asking similarly, don't you care? Do you see the storm I'm in? It's like the great existential question of the age. If there is a God, how could he allow this to happen? Where is he in my time of need? On the one hand, if he is all-powerful, he, he probably isn't all-loving. But if he's all-loving, there's no way he's all-powerful because of all the storms that are in my life. And if you have found yourself wrestling with that, I plead you hear me. That is what you might call a false dichotomy. It is a fallacy. It is not true. For ours is an all-loving, all-powerful God who is for you in the storm. And I want you to note the way in which he is for you. On the one hand, he is for you in his own way. For a sleeping at the back of the boat was our Lord demonstrating for all time to come a simple truth. God's ways are not our ways. He was illustrating by sleeping that even in the midst of the storm, you can trust him even if he feels distant, even if he feels unaware. In his own way, he's for you. And the reason we know he's doing this in his own way is because he proves that he is going to show himself to be for you in his own time. For eventually what happens? It says he awakes and he calms the storm. Those disciples, they wanted it now. They were freaking out in that moment, understandably. And Jesus illustrated for all time eternal that in his own way and in his own time, he's for you. And this is just the plea I have for each of you. Many of you at this moment find yourself afraid in the midst of a storm. And I just urge you to hear me that he who is with you 
is for you even though you may not see him. The darkness of night has descended. You are deep in the dark clouds of doubt and and you don't see him. And my word to you is, though you don't see him, he's there. And light is coming. The sun will rise. Soon all the shadows of night will flee in his searching light. Don't doubt him. Some of you say, I just feel alone and shivering on this boat in this storm. I feel so aloof from him. Not only do I not see him, I don't sense him at all. And if that's you, I plead you here that though you don't feel his warmth, that sun is about to rise. Joy is going to come in the morning and that searching heat is going to come and warm that dark, cold night of the soul. You don't see him. Perhaps you don't sense him. Perhaps you just can't hear him in the raging howl of the storm that is all around you. Take heart, my friends. When that sun arises, when Jesus comes, he will say as only he can, peace, be still. And all the raging sound that is tormenting you this day will one day fully and finally be gone. You, in other words, need not fear, for he's with you. He's for you albeit in his own way and in his own time. And the reason this is good news for us is because he who is with us and he who is for us, praise be to God, is not us. Thirdly and finally, one great hope we ought to have in the face of life's storms is that the one who rules the winds and the waves is not us. For notice what comes from the lips of our Lord. It says he rebukes the wind. That's the same word he uses to rebuke the demons. It's as if he's speaking to the storm as if it is alive. He rebukes and it says he speaks. He says to the winds and the sea, peace, be still. I heard this story growing up in Oklahoma City. I have never shared this publicly, and I'm almost ashamed to do it. But growing up in Oklahoma City, I heard this story taught in my church, Heritage Baptist Church in northwest Oklahoma City, and I misapplied it. We were supposed to go to Frontier City, which is like the Carowinds of Oklahoma City, and I really wanted to go, but there was tornadic weather coming. So I, as a six-year-old, walked out on the driveway of my house And I looked up at the clouds that were swirling as they often do in Oklahoma. And I kid you not, I raised my hand and I said, peace, be still. (laughs) You wanna know what happened? Nothing. (laughs) Imagine the shock, awe, wonder of the moment when the winds are so howling that the waves are crashing over the boat, you are going to sink in the midst of the sea. And Jesus, who's been asleep in the storm, arises and with calm eyes reflecting the terror of the disciples looking at him earnestly, urgently, he just cries, peace, be still. And instantaneously, suddenly, with great perfection, there is great calm. Did you notice it says great calm? Literally, mega calm in the Greek. This was perfect stillness. I trust in that moment the howling raging seas became smooth as glass in the morning. It was a stunning work of our great God. 
demonstrating for us his unparalleled power. Ours is a great God. The one who said, peace be still, is the one who spoke and all creation came into existence. He but spoke and light came into being. He but spoke and the seas were divided from the dry land. He but spoke and what happened? The Red Sea was parted. He is the one who the scripture says upholds all the universe by the word of his power, who can scoop the very ocean in his hand. It is this great God who displayed his unparalleled power by saying, peace, be still. And yet at the same time, we see not only his greatness in those simple words, but we see his goodness. For when he said, peace, be still, he was not only demonstrating his great kindness towards a rebellious bunch who had just doubted him by saying, don't you even care about us? But he communicated for all time that he who could bring peace to the storm can bring peace to to you in your storm. And so we must conclude with the text then what's implied by Jesus' final questions. If he's with you and for you and not you, then take it to heart, dear church. Trust him alone. He alone is worthy of your trust. Do you see that? Do you see why Jesus' question now makes so much sense when he says, why do you have so little faith? It's because he wanted us to see that when our faith feels fragile in the face of the storm, he's with us. He's for us. And that's a good thing because he's not us. He can do what you cannot. Jesus would later illustrate this at the end of his most famous sermon, the last parable of the Sermon on the Mount, when he communicates building your house not on the sand, but on the solid rock, which wind and waves will never crash. If you build your faith, your hope, your trust on the firm foundation of what he has said in this word, you will not sink in the storms of this life. You need to trust him. But did you notice how the disciples actually respond? They who were filled with fear in the face of this storm, something happens which you may have missed. But let me conclude with this simple truth. Let it shock you. They who were filled with abject fear, it says once they heard Jesus speak, peace, be calm. Did you notice what they did next? They didn't say, whew, we made it. That was close. The text says they were filled with great mega fear. Those who were once fearing their very lives now encountered the great, glorious, sovereign Lord over all nature, and they were filled with abject terror. Which leads me to plead with you that you would not only trust Him, but that you would learn to fear Him. For hear me, dear church, if you can learn to fear the Lord, to have a holy respect for who He is, to see Him as every man in the Bible saw Him, the Bible, every time somebody encounters God, they fall over as if dead. 
they are filled with abject terror. If you can get a grip on the fearsome holiness of our great, magnificent God, this will happen for you. All lesser fears will fade into irrationality. You will start to reassess everything in this life that's gripped you with fear and say, I need not fear. For when the winds and the waves and the storms of life come crashing in, there is one who is with me. There is one who is for me. And praise God, he's not me. I will turn to Spurgeon one final time who eloquently captures the unparalleled power of our great God in the face of life's storms. Spurgeon once remarked in a sermon that the storms of this life have a bit in their mouth. Y'all ever ridden a horse? You know the bit in the mouth that helps the rider control the horse? He says all the storms in our life has a bit in its mouth. God holds the reins and nothing can hurt you. Indeed, nothing can happen to you but what God permits. And praise God for that. That the greatest hurricane that may hit you, you may be in the midst of one this moment, you need not fear, for there is one who is with you, there is one who is for you, and praise God, this one is not you. That storm in your life has a bit in its mouth, and there is a great sovereign God who is holding the reins. And so let's conclude with the disciples in verse 41 and just cry out together, who then is this? Who is this that the winds and the sea obey him? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I plead you lend me your ear one final moment. This is the one who knows you, who made you for a most specific purpose. This one called you to live for him. And you have done the opposite. Indeed, I, chief amongst you, have turned my back on our maker. I have sought to do what I thought was best in my own eyes. The scripture has a simple word for this, sin. We have rebelled against our maker. But God in his ever-loving infinite kindness has deemed to provide a way for you and I to escape the punishment we deserve by sending Jesus, his matchless son, the God in the flesh who came to live the life we could never live, who died the death that we deserved, who is mightily, triumphantly resurrected from the dead and who assures us that though the storms of life will surely come, indeed he is leading you into these very storms, he is with you in them, he is for you in them, and praise be to God, one day, one day, one day, he is going to cry louder than he did on that Sea of Galilee. It'll be with the sound of the trumpet of an archangel. And in that moment, he will return again to gather his own. And all that is raging and chaotic in this world, every storm that has battered the shores of your life, will in a moment be calmed and still. You will experience fully and finally the secret to a peace. 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 Be still. Oh, my friends, until that day comes, why are you so afraid? He's with you. He's for you. And He's not you. Why don't you join me as we pray? With your heads bowed as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment.
perhaps this whole message just felt a little cold to you because you are currently drowning in the storm. If that is you, I plead you lend me your ear one final time. That storm is not sovereign. God is. There is a bit in its mouth and He is planning it, using it, and will one day end it for your good and His glory. And so trust Him. Fear Him. And take heart. Why are you so afraid? Father in heaven, I pray by the power of the Spirit to the glory of Jesus, you would so move in this room that all of us could stand with full assurance of faith and respond to your great call of the ages. Why are we so afraid? And may we in one accord respond, we need not fear, for you are with us. You are for us. And that is good news because you are indeed not us. And I pray this in Jesus' matchless name.